Welcome to Booked. I'm Olivia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be reviewing tonight is Zombie Bake Off by Stephen Graham Jones. And we have a very special guest host tonight to help us with the review. It's going to be David James Keaton. Um, for those of you who have never listened to an episode of Booked and haven't heard us uh, mention David, I'll uh, go through his bio here. David James Keaton's fiction has appeared or is forthcoming in Needle, Beat to a Pulp, Crime Factory, Pulp Modern, The Fiddleback, Pulp Pusher, Yellow Mama, Burnt Bridge, Dirty Noir, <laughs> Pure Slush, Shotgun Honey, Dark Sky, and Thuglet, among others, as well as in horror anthologies such as Dead Core, The Death Panel, and Dark Highlands. David received his MFA from the University of Pittsburgh and is also the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Flywheel Magazine, now featuring more wheels than flies, although he is working to remedy this. Did I forget to mention he wrote ZBMB? Do we not? I mean, we mentioned that pretty frequently on the show. It may have come up once or twice. David, thanks for taking time to come on the show. You know, with this appearance and the readings we've had, you may be the most frequent person we've had on the show now. Excellent. I, I've infiltrated you guys. You might be earning your spot on the About Us page of our website. Um, <laughs> so tonight we're going to be talking about Zombie Bake Off, like I said before. Here's a little bit about the author, Stephen Graham Jones. Stephen Graham Jones is the author of eight or nine novels so far and a couple of collections. His recent books are Demon Theory, Lead Feather, They Came from Del Rio, and the Stoker finalist collection, The Ones That Got Away. Uh, coming soon are Growing Up Dead in Texas, Flush Boy, and Not For Nothing. Probably more as well. Steven's been an NEA fellow, and he won the Texas Institute of Letters Award for Fiction, and his stories have been included in multiple best-of-the-year annuals, horror always, all kinds of anthologies, and even textbooks. Steven is 40, married with children, and teaches in the MFA program at the University of Colorado at Boulder. All right, so this cat I was reading on Facebook the other day, he actually got three acceptances for stories in one day. Oh, That's I, not I, mentioned I, in I his bio. It. I thought it was four. It was four. Oh my four. Jesus! It was four, and then and then he compounds that with saying, "Last week I only got one," <laughs> which is a little troubling to hear, you know, when you're looking for acceptances. Well, that's that's four, the thing, four. you guys. You guys need to kill him off. That opens up what you know, ten, twelve acceptances a week for everybody else. Yeah. So what? That's that's just unheard of. That amount. <laughs> yeah. If he stopped submitting stories, there would be like a total vacuum. Well, that's is he? Did he definitely say stories? Or did he just say acceptances? Maybe uh, just saying, I was accepted in some way four times. That's <laughs> true. He could. He that's not as impressive. Enough. I mean, that just sounds like somebody looking for friends. I was accepted four times in one day. It's a new record. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm no, pretty I'm sure, sure he's the last so time. Go ahead. The last time we had him on, he was like, "Yeah, I wrote this book in like six days." It's yeah, just kind of silence. <laughs> oh, what did he put? There was something really funny he put on Facebook. I'll see if I can find it really quick because it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> just, I just I read it while I was at work, and I wasn't expecting it. Hang on. <laughs> just wrote a story about space lobsters. Yesterday's story was robots and wizards. The day before that, I tried to rewrite The Movie Goer. Now I just want to watch about six hours of Law & Order, please. Need to get my brain turned off. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can tell that he's one of those guys that just writes like a machine. When he whenever he puts up a Facebook post, it'll be just this brick of text, like stream of consciousness text. Very excitable. You know, you can tell it's just coming right off the fingertips. So I have no doubt that he writes a story a day. And he'll talk about writing a story in one night constantly. He'll say, I 
started something tonight. I was surprised. Ended up with a story by the end of the hour. You know, yep. shit like that. So it's just incredible. All right, let me tell you a little bit about the book we're uh, we're uh, reviewing this evening: uh, Zombie Bake Off. And here is the synopsis. It's time for the annual Recipe Days Bake Off in Lubbock, Texas. Soccer moms and grandmothers gather to show off their family recipes, learn new secrets for the perfect shortcake, and perhaps earn a chance to be on the famous cooking show, How Would You Cook It Then? When the Bake Off is crashed by a federation of pro wrestlers, including American Badass, Jersey Devil Jill, Tiny Giant, The Village Person, Jonah the Whale, The Hellbillies, and the fan favorite Zombie, which incidentally is spelled with an X because it's much cooler that way, all hell is set to break loose. Your heart beats faster as you anticipate who will come out on top in the ultimate showdown of the century, soccer moms or pro wrestlers. Anything can happen. An infected batch of donuts has transformed most of the wrestlers into mindless brain eaters, and the doors of the convention center have been chained shut, leaving the survivors locked inside, forced to fend for themselves against the hungry dead. Possessing the intensity of a shotgun to the face, Zombie Bake Off is a stripped-down masterpiece of blood and donuts from celebrated author Stephen Graham Jones. Great stuff. That's pretty much everything we need to tell you. <laughs> All right, we're gonna skip right to the right to the rating then, because yeah, that covers <laughs> covers it pretty well. Well, can you guys talk about the cover at all? This is kind of an interesting cover. Um, I can describe the cover a little bit. Um, it is a uh, darkish gray. It's got a nice little finish to it, like it feels nice in your hands. But there is a triangle, uh, like a pyramid style triangle. So it's a triangle on top of a some other shape that I don't know what it would be. At any rate, it's triangle made up of three sort of triangles: the donut in one of them, a zombie with a uh, <laughs> with a, a chef's hat on. I'm surrounded by a couple of, I don't know, maybe baguettes and well, then two zombies and a donut. Is this the, is this that food pyramid? I was going to say it's the, like the food groups kind of pyramid. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in anything healthy. Like people don't believe in Santa Claus. So I wouldn't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of in the, uh, actually this zombie, I've seen this guy before. Do you know the one with the chef's hat on? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's, it must be a, um, it must be an image that you can buy or something. The guy, he's also on the spine. If you Google uh, zombie safari, there's uh, an ebook. <laughs> it's got the same, the same guy, but he's got a target on his face. So it's a, I like to think that this guy is, um, you know, it's like there's a zombie out there getting work for advertising. <laughs> they Sometimes they put a hat on him. Sometimes they put a target on his face. Sometimes they put a, you know, a cowboy hat on him or put him on a street sign. But it's the same guy. If you Google zombie safari, you'll see the same face. The one that's on the spine, too, without the hat. He's kind of like the falling guy in the caution wet floor signs. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. He just gets a ton of work doing different things. He gets a lot of work. I've seen this guy at least. I, I don't know where the third place I've seen him, but he's got that little pointy chin. I, I know this I know this zombie. Uh, anyway. <laughs> He's a survivor, man. And he's just, you know, he's doing what he can. He gets that casting call, and he's funny looking, but he makes money. Pretty much. And he's, like, typecast in that way where it's, like, you know there's that guy that you go to when you need, like, an overweight, like, shopkeep who might be a little dirty. Like, he's that kind of guy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Jesus. All right. So (laughs) we read you the synopsis. Um it's pretty straightforward. This book takes place over the course of um, guys at like four or five hours. I mean, it's like a really short period of time. Yeah, it's like and, an afternoon, pretty much. Mm-hmm. 
the gist of it is that uh, this this lady who does the booking for this convention center has booked this cooking show or this cooking convention in the morning, and then kind of kind of close on the heels of that is a, is a wrestling event it's that like evening. Double booked. That's the first mm-hmm. dilemma. <laughs> so, so uh, the wrestlers show up early, and they're uh, they're just kind of a, a rough group. Well, there's that uh, there's that sweet cinematic intro too. With uh, are, are we allowed to talk about major plot points? Absolutely. The um, you know the mysterious uh, guy gets run over, and the it introduces how the the, the problem starts. Right? They yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I asked a couple questions about that. Is there? I assume that they run over some sort of zombie, right? Yes. Right. And he's full of maggots. Is that, <laughs> is that the case? That's what that's when I got out of it because, like, essentially, um, yeah, his he kind of disappears, but uh, his finger gets left behind in the in the donuts. I guess right, the donuts. Right. And yeah, there's maggots coming out of it, so. Dude's got to be, I don't know if he's like composed of maggots or he's just being eaten away and the maggots have become zombified. Well, I love, that's, that's a great idea. I love the fact that, uh, that the maggots started because one of my favorite lines in it is the fly. The fly is the first indication that something's gone wrong. I mean, you already know there's going to be zombies showing up, but that line about, uh, a fly crash lands next to another fly and then eats it. Yeah. Yep. That, that is great because it's 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 acknowledging that the maggots were the problem, but also they have to develop into something. And so you're going to have these zombie flies, and they're kind of – I was hoping they'd come back. That was my one slight disappointment was they referred to them one other time about uh, zombie flies kind of crash landing somewhere else. I was hoping they'd be like a little Greek chorus or something. Like <laughs> All right, this would probably be a good time to do our spoiler warning. So there is so much to talk about in this book. I don't think we've spoiled anything yet, but it'd be a good time to to kind of mention it. There's so much great stuff to talk about in this book that's essential to the plot um, that if you really, really want to read it spoiler-free, we're going to try to keep it as much as we can till towards the end where we're going to go very spoiler-heavy, but we'll give you another warning before that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is all literally in the first five six pages so the cool thing about it and just back to the maggots for a second i think that yeah they basically were able to transmit you know it's like we say that you know flies can transmit disease or you know or bugs can transmit disease i think i don't know that anybody's ever used bugs to transfer zombie virus before which i thought was very very cool too right because it's not yeah it's not it doesn't have to be a bite from another person that you, you know it's a little easier to see coming it's like you know you can accidentally eat a bug or something if it's mixed in with donuts. That's pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like that, they uh, they debunked that that myth about swallowing eight spiders a night. I was reading about that the other day on was it on Cracked? That that's one of those things they always say. You swallow eight spiders a night and you don't know it, which is supposed to scare you because you're supposed to think, "What about all the spiders I, you know, on a on a good night?" But apparently that's a bunch of shit. But anyway. So is there like an, a definitive number of spiders or is it just like total nonsense? Like you so, may... Yeah, somebody just said that. I think it started as one of those uh, chain letters or something. Bunch of BS. But what, what I want to say, David, actually you mentioned that the, the one fly eating the other one is kind of like a really nice foreshadowing of what's going to happen with the zombies later on, which we can talk about more in the spoiler area. But I didn't really think about it until you said it, but that's even kind of like, you know, 
there are three stages of right the, gener- yeah. the generations yeah 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 so that's that that's pretty cool too i didn't think about it until you mentioned it but then i was like yeah that's yeah that's like a mini version of what's gonna oh, i just totally punched my table uh, of what's gonna happen in the book <laughs> you're so excited about that part of the book <laughs> i'm just waving my hands around wildly all right, so a little bit about some of the characters, and there's a huge, huge cast, so maybe we could just round robin some of the favorites. Um, Terry is the, um, did you just, like, did you just cock a gun? What, what was that? <laughs> this better go well I kill myself. <laughs> Damn it. We're, doing, we're introducing a new segment, and it's called Russian Roulette. Yeah. <laughs> One of our hosts is just going to put a fucking gun to their head. This is my Dr. Pepper. I have a Dr. Pepper here. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do anything to get listens. <laughs> uh, the the main care the main character of the story and the catalyst for for pretty much everything at least the non zombie catalyst is Terry who has double booked um, the uh, the arena or the uh, convention center and she's uh she's kind of a little bit of a hard ass you know it says soccer mom a lot in this and I guess technically she is a soccer mom but she's got kind of a little bit of more of an edge to her than uh, than you'd expect from a soccer mom. Yeah, she's like the tough businesswoman kind of kind of person. All right, so I don't know if we have you know necessarily need to talk about all the characters, but the one <laughs> the one that I liked the most was one that didn't really make too much of an appearance, at least you know in a, in a in a state that wasn't a zombie. What, uh, um, but was Tiny Giant? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I, one of the one of the best, one of my favorite parts, and I don't think this is too spoilery. Uh, of the book was involved tiny giant and um it was either they were trying to wake him up i think when they started mm-hmm. singing motley Crue's home sweet home yes <laughs> they were trying to like because he's all right he's this giant wrestler guy and um <laughs> he had fallen asleep at one point and they were trying to wake him up and they have to be very careful about how they wake him up because i guess he wakes up pretty violently if it's not done properly so um, the one guy starts singing to him, and then everybody <laughs> just starts to join in, and they have this, like, six people in the middle of this crazy zombie outbreak singing Home Sweet Home to this giant wrestler guy yeah, who's... Most of the song, too, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really... It was a lot of it. And uh, they tried to hide him by uh, covering him in food because they were in the middle of this cook-off thing. So he's, like, all these baked goods piled on him. He's asleep, and they're singing "Home Sweet Home" to him. It was just, oh, it was just a brilliant moment. Yeah, that was that was good stuff. I like the, uh, I like the initial, um, donut or. It's kind of like, uh, you know, a car coming on one side of the screen and a car on the other. With when are they going to get a hold of these infected donuts? And so when they finally do, um, that's played up as the first massacre. Basically, it's this gorging on donuts except the zombie character zombie with an x he uh what does it say it says he looks at it and rotates it in his hand like mm-hmm. thoughtfully and i thought that was an amazing uh moment because again it's right before a chapter break and he does such a good job with building suspense he cuts these off at great moments and that tells you a lot of things you need to know right there is that there's hope for that character Mm-hmm. Because he's skeptical about this donut in his hand, and plus it's just a great image. Somebody rotates a donut in their hand; they're, you know, maybe they're not going to eat it. So, I just thought that was one of many great lines right before the end of the chapter. 
Yeah, I mean, this this book, and, and there are great moments like that, but kind of to touch on what Rob was saying about the home sweet home, it, it's very campy. I mean, the book is very campy, but still manages to not be any less serious. Like, the serious parts are so, so intense that even the campy stuff, even kind of set back from the story a little bit, doesn't hurt it any. So you don't think of it as, like... It has that campy feel, but I didn't think of it as like that B kind of movie story because the intense moments were so just immensely intense. Yeah, like the line, anywhere else this mom might have lived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it entertains too. And it, like you, there's a lot of things where you know what's going to happen. And early on, you get a confidence that he also knows it, the author. And so, He's going to do something original about it, and he does. Or when there's something, like there's a sign that says, you know, tonight, one night only, or whatever, t- tiny giant versus zombie. You're like, that's going to happen. And when it happens, one of these characters will not be a human being, and it's going to be a great fight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know that fight's coming, and you're, you know that fight's going to happen, and... Sure enough, it doesn't disappoint. It, isn't it? Uh, it's about three chapters worth of fighting of that <laughs> final brawl, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it really is. It's just far more epic than I ever would have imagined it was going to be. Oh yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's like Jurassic Park when the the banner flutters down when the yep. T Rex throws the the raptor at the end. Like they got this sort of the banner flutters down. I don't know if it flutters down, but that's what I was picturing. But there are moments when you're just like, who is gonna? who's going to come out on top. And you have no confidence that you know how it's going to end because he's subverted expectations all the way through. So, mm-hmm. yeah, But he but also delivers the goods. The foreshadowing, too, is they talk about it's going to be a match to the death. And someone even comments on how it's going to be the death, but one of the wrestlers will come back after a couple months, he'll come back from the dead, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, there's some really great foreshadowing in there, too. Oh, yeah, and the, the zombie car- zombie with an X, he's, you know, he's, he's one of those goth guys, right? Is that how they describe mm-hmm. him? Yep. So it's points, and this won't, this doesn't give anything away really, but when a character will see him coming, they'll be like, say something, because he's going to look, not only does he look like a zombie, not only is his goddamn name zombie, mm-hmm. but why would you ever think that he's not a zombie? Plus, he, at one point, doesn't he cut his, cuts his own chest open, like, uh, yeah. kind of like Billy, Billy and Predator, like lays open his chest to slide through something. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he's covered in blood black fingernails or whatever, you get a very good image of this guy having to convince everyone he comes across whether he's turned or not. So that was very clever. Like when I first saw the name, I thought, okay, there's our first zombie. And I thought, okay, there's our last zombie. Or there's our, he's never going to be a zombie. Like you, you knew that he was going to, that name was going to be dealt with. You just didn't know how. Mm -hmm. One of the things I thought was cool, which kind of goes along with what you were saying with um, like all the foreshadowing stuff is that like, he didn't put anything in the story that didn't get used somehow. Like, um, even like they had this casket, you know, that was mentioned in the beginning and it was supposed to be really, you know, part of, part of the act or whatever. And it ended up being used later on. So I like it when things aren't just frivolous, you know, he did a lot of that. Like, you know, he put something in early and then it'll show up later on and it'll have some sort of use to it. In, in different ways to deal with, with the, with the zombie stuff, you know, from them, you know, kind of building the, the, the weapons that they're going to use to the casket, to the, um, using the fire hose, which, you know, there's a fire hose they flood this room with and they use it, you know, it just everything he did was innovative and interesting. 
and I thought for the most part, you know, fairly original stuff I hadn't seen in other, you know, in other movies or read in other stories. Yeah, and possibly he comes up, which we'll talk about in the spoiler section, he comes up with <laughs> two or three original takes on it, and that's not easy to do. And uh, did you guys notice his, I think there's only about three movie references, the ones that uh, Mr. Jones decides are important enough to, to be in here. There's Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. Return of the Living Dead. You know what the third one is? No. Mystic Pizza. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Isn't that great? And Mystic Pizza. <laughs> Which also has a moment where someone tastes a piece of pizza and tries to figure out what ingredients are in it. So, oh, yeah. I don't know if that was foreshadowing there, but that's that was probably the most suspenseful moment of Mystic Pizza when the movie reviewer takes a bite of the pizza or not movie reviewer, the restaurant guy that they're waiting for the whole movie, takes a bite of the pizza. He's like, I can't quite place these ingredients. So that's pretty clever if that was on purpose. Yeah, because for, for anybody who hasn't read it yet, there's a character named Beatrice, right? Beatrice? Mm-hmm. Oh, Who's... don't give that away. That's a spoiler moment. Is that a spoiler moment? Well, no, it, no, no. I was just going to say what she does, what her part is in general for the Bake oh, Off thing. Oh, right, right. Who um, um, Beatrice is... is is there, I think, as part of the TV show that, you know, how would you cook it then or whatever? And she's this blind woman who has, like, a very refined, like, palate, I guess, that she can taste something and tell you all the ingredients or how it was prepared and stuff like that. So she's kind of like this weird magic savant of, of tasting things. Um, you should ask the listeners, well, how do you think she would be used? <laughs> because it's it's so obvious, but it's not, and it's... It's brilliant the way she's used. See if they can guess now, and then later. See, I don't know how you do that. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody, pause the recording. Write it down, and then seal it in an envelope. I don't know. Yeah, but it's very clever how she how they pull that in. Mm -hmm. One little stylistic thing that I noted because I read uh, Jones's afterwards and everything, and it made a lot of sense was. He said he listened to a lot of Rob Zombie almost exclusively when he was writing the book. Um, and I'm, Oh, yeah. And so obviously you've got this character named Zombie, which is, you know, even though he said that I think he, he pictures The Rock, you know, from Dwayne Johnson, whatever his, his name is, when, when he thinks of Zombie. Uh, he's got a character named Sherry. Obviously, there's Sherry Moon Zombie. And I think the most obvious one is uh, a bunch of the wrestlers are just called the Hellbillies, which is... Definitely a big reference to Rob Zombie. I don't know if I've been listening to too much Rob Zombie, at least that Hellbilly Deluxe album, but I didn't realize that until Rob said that last week. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of uh, Devil's Rejects, and um, I think his first movie's terrible. And but I know <laughs> a lot about the dude, and it never occurred to me. I don't know if it was just so entrenched with Rob Zombie references. But when you said that, I was like, how did I fucking miss that? <laughs> I mean, it's got his whole, his, uh, his whole family tree is mentioned. Yeah, pretty much. I'm a big fan <laughs> of Rob Zombie. I've, I've liked him for a long time. I think the guy's pretty dope. Uh, we'll agree with you, though, that uh, House of a Thousand Corpses is not nearly as good as Devil's Rejects. Agreed. But Devil's Rejects yeah. did that thing where it kind of like turned your expectations around. Um, in a way that was just, I loved it. 
I never thought that oh, I'd cry so at the good. end of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they take the three most irredeemable characters, and the movie has the balls to say, oh, you're going to feel bad when they go. I mean, why would you ever? But it cranks up the emotion in the last scene. It's just... <laughs> what? Anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, that's like the best... Uh, that was the best 70s movie I had seen in 2000 in a long time. It was a perfect 70s movie. It that was. opening That opening sequence is better than most movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was an incredible movie. I, I'll, I'll never say anything bad about that movie. It was fantastic. When I saw that, there was about four walkouts. People just steadily bailing. <laughs> I don't know you what mean they before thought that opening see. sequence ended? Yeah. No, they, they were going to stick it out, but then... You know, then it shows the um, caged-up cheerleaders, and and then uh, it starts to go into the the um, digs into that family a little more. And actually, the I think the first person bailed, or the no, the third person bailed when they started to torture the mother. Mm-hmm. So they they stuck they stuck with it for a lot of mayhem, but then. It's like they, they couldn't stand to see that the woman tortured by the, the authorities. So that was pretty funny what, what it takes to people to check out of a movie. But yeah, who, who doesn't love cheerleaders in cages? Well, except, the, <laughs> except for the cheerleaders, of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I like how that was just an afterthought at the beginning of that movie. It's like there's all this shit going down. It's like, oh, yeah, we have a bunch of cheerleaders in cages. But, well. No time for that. They like <laughs> yeah. run past them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. So the flip side to all the uh, the Rob Zombie stuff in there is the wrestlers. And I grew up watching pro wrestling, so it was kind of nice to see someone's uh, take on zombie wrestlers. Yeah, I wasn't much into the um, when I was a kid. I wasn't. I didn't follow the wrestling thing, but I can appreciate in this. I can appreciate they bring in this cast. I keep saying they as if this was a production by a team of <laughs> a team of scientists. No, he brings in this uh, this cast, and you know just by reading the back of it that they're going to be the problem. And you know, usually your zombies are interchangeable, or again, one character trait. So here they're they're wearing their character trait, and they're, it's it's in their names. They're going to have these characteristics, you know, based on their names, and it's just a great idea. Like here, here on entering stage left will be your villains for the evening. And they're going to be formidable for these reasons. And you know, just by their names. So that was just a great idea. And the names, I think he did a great job with the names too. Um, Jersey. Yeah, they're all a parody, right? Are they a parody of actual wrestlers or something? It seemed that way for the most part. Yeah. Well, obviously tiny giant, like Andre the giant. Um, Yeah. See, I'm not a huge wrestling fan. But um, there was one Elvis character uh, or, yes. or um, wrestler in the book that I thought was really funny. The way they, because they they mentioned that um, at some point during the the match, his fake um, sideburns get will get torn off or something like that. And even that I think got mentioned later on in the in the book. The dude was so good at tagging on to the stuff he brought up earlier on, because I think that I definitely believe that the the sideburn thing was something he brought up again later on once. You know, all the wrestlers or most of the wrestlers became zombies. Yeah, as I was reading through it, it did seem like there were a lot of them were a play on. Like, for example, the Elvis character, I kept picturing him as the honky tonk man who yeah. was exactly an Elvis knockoff in the in the WWF when I was a kid. So 
So yeah, it was really nice because you can kind of picture him now. I didn't, I apparently must have missed the afterword altogether. Um, diligent reader that I am, but yeah, I didn't picture the rock. I kind of pictured more of the undertaker for anybody who does follow wrestling as the yeah. zombie character. So I, I, that's who I thought of too. And I know very little about it, except when I was, uh, when I went to Bowling Green, uh, BGSU, I worked in the kitchen just carrying potatoes and oranges in for the, for the cooks. And there was this girl there who was just a dumbass, and she would come in talking about how moved she was by whatever wrestling was on the night before. <laughs> and she came in one day, and she's like, last night they, I was watching it, and they, they wheeled in The Undertaker, and he was on a cross, and I just started crying. <laughs> and she was all <laughs> worked up about it, about this crucifixion of The Undertaker. Otherwise, I wouldn't know who it was, but we... You know, we harassed her mercilessly after that. But the idea that she watches this and just got so moved by the wrestler on the cross. <laughs> the so I did, of the Undertaker. Yeah, I did have some idea what he probably looked like. Um, we actually captioned wrestling. So I knew his, his signature moves to grab people by the neck or something when you think he's dead or some shit. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that's beyond my knowledge. But yeah. Yeah. Lovies is just saying he's old, and he he stopped watching wrestling before The Undertaker took took. Yeah, stage. like in my thirties. Um, <laughs> but at any rate, it was nice to see to see the uh, the the wrestlers and all of them way over the top with their characters, which was terrific too. Yeah, I did. I want to go back to this wrestler thing because I had the weirdest experience, and like I've never really had a venue to tell anybody about it. But I used to live uh, in the Andersonville neighborhood of Chicago, and. Randomly, I was out for a walk. I, I walked down my road and I turned on another road and I'm going, you know, it's a bunch of houses, like apartment complexes. And I'm walking past this one building and they're like two flats. They're not like big complexes. They're just like, you know, you know, duplexes or whatever you want to call them. And this one guy's just standing at the gate, uh, at the front gate of his yard. <laughs> like he's just waiting for someone to wander along. And he's like, hey, guys, how you doing today? And we're like, good. How are you? And he's like, did you hear about Mr. McMahon? And we're like, what? <laughs> and he's like, Mr. McMahon, they blew up his car last night. He's dead. And he was obviously <laughs> affected by this. And he believed it. Like, I could tell the dude believed it. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> and I don't respond to it. Yeah. But uh, this guy, deep in his heart, believed that someone had blown up Mr. McMahon's car and killed him. <laughs> so random. But I looked at him, and I'm like, yeah, I can see this. Like, I didn't think about it when I first saw the guy, but after he said this, I was like, you look like a hardcore wrestling fan. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what did you guys think overall about the writing? David, you want to kick it off? About the the writing? Just just the writing style. Um, It was good. I liked it. It was... uh... Nothing, um, I don't know. Maybe you should cut this part because I don't know what <laughs> I don't know how to describe right. You know, it was effective enough that I am unaware of what writing style he may or may not have used. I don't know. <laughs> End of interview. <laughs> He's storming out of the room, not realizing it's not like it's like <clears throat> it's his own room. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Rob, do you have any thoughts? I'm afraid to ask now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> I did not sign up for this bullshit. Um, 
I don't know. I thought it was really tight and uh, nothing really extraneous. The dude did a great job of making a great story. That was, I mean, it, it's a qu- it's a quick read, and it's like a little campy and weird, but like at the same time, it's it's a great story. He he turned what could be a really you know cheesy kind of whatever throwaway story into something that was you know had more depth to it. I guess is what I would say about it. Can you, can you guys hold on one second? Sure. I, have, I have to go check some. I have a dog issue next door. I have to check something. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, God. He's going to kill a dog. He's going to see if the poison's working. Oh, my God. Dude, did the antifreeze work? Are the dogs dead yet? Did you see me complaining about those dogs? Yes. Oh, I missed it. I just All I do is fantasize about choking <laughs> these dogs out. Just having one in a headlock and just whispering to it. Like, Shh, it's you're going to a better place. Shh, that's all I want to do is choke these dogs out. Wow, this, my neighbor has two dogs that she just lets loose. I hope she listens to this because it's 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 out of hand. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna leave the part in about you choking out the dogs. To be honest, no, this you're is not gonna, you're not to. gonna leave that in. Why yeah. would you leave that in? I'm leaving it in. I edit it, so Livius doesn't really have any choice. Go. No, I just want to. I just want to send it to a better place. You know. Do you have a cat, by the way? All yeah, he's upset because the dogs are just. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. He wants to. This is our first guest cat on the podcast. He's very upset. But yeah, I. I don't know. And all dogs go to heaven, right? We know this cartoon. Well, it's, I think especially the ones that are choked out by their neighbor. Yeah, I mean, but in the most loving way, you know, like an I am legend. Like it's it's got to happen, but you know, you're gonna make it as easy on the dog as possible. It does does your neighbor complain about your cat? No, I don't know why this cat's flipping up. <laughs> the cat. Um, we she's on have, she's it, on Facebook going. This guy next door has the most annoying cat. All it does is meow all night long. Well, the, the cat loses its mind because of, actually because of electronic voices. I have this giant army of darkness toy that talks. <laughs> and if you set it off, the cat flips out and will bite the shit out of you. So I think your guys' voices coming out of this computer are making it lose its mind. That's like if I, push the bu- if I push the button on the toy and it says, well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants, the cat fucking flips out. <laughs> So your voices are the equivalent of that that army of darkness toy. You're making my cat. The cat it's, wants to kill us. Yeah, it's. I'm, let me try feeding it because I don't want this thing attached to my head. Hold on. <laughs> this is all staying in, by the way. <laughs> oh. Poor cat. So upset. Come here. Come here. Okay, I kicked I kick the cat out. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Yes. Yes, we're good. Okay. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back on track anyway, a little bit. Yeah, the, the, the neighbor's dogs. <laughs> um, and one of, there are two giant labs, and one of them's got, like, tumors all over it or something. So you really so, would be doing that one a favor if you killed it. Yeah, or just let them go. You know, just let the gate open the gate. If you've seen like a, 
in a Disney movie, they just go, they go and have adventures, right? Yeah. They, <laughs> they meet find, up with another animal and yeah. Yeah, they find a wise animal to lead them and they'll be fine. They'll be I'm a, sure that's exactly adventures. how it'll go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but all right, so we're going to have Livius talk about the... Uh, his his thoughts on the writing style, and then we're gonna just burst. We're gonna unchain David, and we're gonna talk super un super spoiler. How's that? Let's do that. Fair enough. Um, I just really like Jones has a very conversational style through through most of the book that I really liked. It's just very very easygoing. At, at one point early on, I had a little trouble kind of following what was going on with the characters. So if it took me just a little bit to adjust to it, but yeah, once I got cranking into it, I mean, it was just a super fast read, just very fluid throughout. Yeah, it was a fast read. All right, spoiler time. Spoilers. Anybody who All doesn't right, want their book spoiled. Like you. Mm-hmm. Can I spoil some stuff? Yeah, get your spoiler on. Okay, I, my first question is, um, when the shit hits the fan, there's a suicide by one of those little old ladies. Why are those cake... Is it like a cake mixer? Why are those things so lethal? She like puts a... <laughs> cake mixer in her face and it just turns it to it's like putting a lawnmower on her head right well how what what happened there i missed something i was reading too fast the crazy thing about that too is that like um she starts by murdering another woman (laughs) who i guess had been bitten uh and she feared was going to turn into a zombie and then when she realizes that she's not going to be able to like fight her way out of it she turns it on herself and just like basically, yeah, hand mixes her brains out of her head. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's how does that? Okay, I think that was one of those. I'm not going to let you get me. I'm going to get myself before you can right. get me. Kind of moments. So, how did you guys notice his? Uh, he had a great um, word for for when they got when they cleaned out somebody's head. He, he called it being their heads being plundered. Mm-hmm. He used that a, cu- a couple times. That's a, I had never heard that. That's a great term. Another head plundered. <laughs> it's such a descriptive, nasty descriptive term, you know. Yeah, but some of the, a lot of the violence seemed like a little too easy. Like um, people's limbs were coming off pretty willy nilly. Oh well. yeah, when yeah, and that's a fine tradition though. Once things go wrong, <laughs> people people aren't being held together by much. Once bad things start to happen, you know, you just yeah, put a foot on somebody's ribs and things come off it's really yeah maybe when you become a zombie the first thing to go is like the uh the joints or something right (laughs) (laughs) well yeah and i and i absolutely love that because zombie is just zombie with an x is just going around and he's just breaking zombies like in half like crushing their pelvises with his boot it's just fantastic stuff (laughs) yeah (laughs) grinding teeth into the ground and it was it's very that's what i love like all right so so the story itself is cool but like when it gets violent, that gore is like really well done. He doesn't he doesn't pull punches with with some of the gore and the things that happen. Yeah, I'm not one to to shy away from you know passages and books and stuff, but there's one in particular. And I'm going to jump forward to what would normally be in the quote section to read this because this actually kind of just chilled my chilled my blood a little bit. Uh, let me find here. While you're looking, I just realized we were going to drop. Jones's three minute fucking like history of every zombie. Ever. Oh, I remember that. That's when yeah. I first started listening to you guys. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's there. seriously three minutes and two seconds long, and it's more information about zombies than anybody has ever packed into three minutes ever. I'm sure of it. 
Yeah, and that's why we shouldn't be surprised that he introduced some new stuff. He introduced some new takes on on the zombie thing, and he did it in the in the spots where you want it, which is where there's a moment that the cast can turn around and say, "What's happening?" And we have a moment to get our thoughts together about what's occurring. And you know, it can either, it, it, usually it's a um, you know, survival moment, but the best, and this happens in the movie, The Thing, too, one of my absolute favorite movies, the original, or I'm sorry, the second version, not the <laughs> 50s version, the Carpenter version. There's constant moments of studying the situation. And um, his Return of the Living Dead moment where he says, why do they want our brains, you know? And somebody says it's, it's those kinds of zombies, the ones that want the brains, which is, you know, refers to the Return of the Living Dead, the first time they went after the brain and then someone says the avoid the pain is the, the theory mm-hmm. and that you know that's a line right out of the return of the living dead when they interrogate one on the board they tie one down and ask it why do you want to eat our brains and it says to relieve the pain and they start to debate that and they say well maybe it's because when you have surgery you can't they don't have to sedate you when they do brain surgery because there's no pain being felt mm-hmm. when you cut into the brain and they start to, it leads into all this discussion of, therefore, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big leap, but it's, it's a leap that I've followed, which mm-hmm. is, oh, yeah. therefore, this is why they want to eat them, because there are no nerve endings in the brain or something. It, it actually made more sense than what I'm saying. But. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the way that they what analyze. He, say? he says, it's like a, and even a character says, it's like a sacrament or something. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else goes, eh, maybe they're just drinking memories. I don't know. This ain't science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're right. Those those scenes where they, they kind of, and there are quite a few throughout the book where they kind of sit back and have time to plot. They're not just run and gun the whole time. There's some really, really great stuff in there. And it's, like you said, just an analysis on the whole zombie, just everything at some points. Which leads into the three generations thing. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was just brilliant. And again, that's the whole fly thing, which I didn't think about before. Like, maybe that the fly that eats the other one was a, an older generation fly or something, a, a newer, like a yeah. Is so that the, what you were, is that what kind yeah? Of that, what is the that? first generation is breeders, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And then, yeah, and then you're, they're breeding by biting, and then the second one I was a little fuzzier on the hunters. So they're mm-hmm. just devouring. That's the females, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third generation was big surprise this is a big spoiler so <laughs> bow out at this point but that's when they would infiltrate us that's when they act like a normal person that was that was pretty fucking brilliant that was a great idea i never saw that coming i did not see and even with all that setup going with the whole idea of of the evolution from one generation to the next still didn't see it coming i was like this is awesome it was a great idea and then it, that in that ZBNB, I think I had third generation zombies. <laughs> you know, if you put a label on them, like I, I I'm glad he found there's a label for it. I don't know. I just feel like uh, it just made me happy. And like oh. I found found a family. What was that? That oh, was my chair. Sorry. About that. <laughs> um, one thing I was you thinking though. A gun? <laughs> it's my turn at Russian roulette. Uh, one thing. All right. So when they. All right. So there's a point in the book where the, there's the group split up, and one group's going to find the key to unlock the the doors that are all locked, the padlock, uh, and then the other group goes up to the roof. The moment I heard that the there was roof a group is going life. To the roof, 
Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh man, this reminds me of everything that Keaton was saying when we when we had him on to talk about some uh, ZBNB. Yeah, that was good stuff. The uh, <laughs> can we talk about the the uh, uh, blind Beatrice? The ingredients. Yeah. Can I mention yes. one thing about the roof really quick first? Oh, sorry. How fucking brilliant was? Um, all right, so you you know they were up there and uh, someone had a phone and they were like at the roof or on the roof or whatever, mm-hmm. and the that phone was Terry and her brother. Yeah, but the phone dropped, right? And it was on the roof. Mm-hmm. And then he had a bird, like, knock the phone off or something like that. And, like, there was this mention about why the bird would... Or the bird looked around to see if anybody noticed or something. Such a throwaway moment, but I thought it was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a lot of good lines like yeah. that. And one more thing on the generation of zombies. How about the zombie that takes the arms that have been torn off and attaches oh it to itself and kind of... Uh, what's that called? Grafting? Like, when they do it with, like, a tree, like, grafts the arms onto itself and becomes mm-hmm. a six-armed zombie? <laughs> that was just ridiculous but in a, such a fantastic way. Mm-hmm. And of course it's, it's the one person you hate the most throughout that book, that Melinda, yep. she's just the bitch that that's just got it in for Terry from the beginning. And of course she's like the baddest ass zombie with six arms. Right. He did that cool too. Cause he's like, he introduced it where there was like a, just a head, but then the head like kind of like had a couple arms suck onto it or something like graft onto right. it. Yep. And then you're like, Oh, that's really messed up. And then it comes back <laughs> later. When, like, Suddenly, there's this giant zombie with six arms. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I started to think um, if there was a, if there would be a sequel, and there are hints of a sequel at the end of this, big hints. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. If one occurs, I just I'd like to see. I mean, it'd kind of be like the, the human centipede sequel. Like, what would happen if they were all left alone for a long time? You'd get some sort of giant, shambling, you know, hundred armed, walking, you know, thing. So. That'd be fun if it goes that route. In the back of my head the whole time, I kept thinking, well, what the hell happened to the original zombie? So I thought, like, what would happen is Terry and Zombie and whoever else would get out, and it would just be zombies everywhere. So after getting out of the arena where they thought it was all, you know, kind of contained, you know, they'd just get out and there'd be zombies everywhere, and that's how I thought it was going to end. Oh, how about the, uh, you just mentioned when they got out, that that's some uh, masterful uh, plotting there. When they put, when the promoter or whatever says, you know, we're locking the doors. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're just you're thinking that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, we're gonna lock it. He's like, isn't that a fire hazard? Eh, we're not gonna worry about that. <laughs> but yep. the fact that they are trapped before even shit goes down, they're like, we're locking the doors because it's better for business or whatever. Because people won't leave. Yeah. Yeah, we want to keep them in here. So that's just that was funny. Uh, that was a laugh out loud moment. So, but that that moment when they're pulling away um, from the building in the in the bus or the tour bus or whatever, and all the zombie fans are out there, the zombie with the next fans, and they for a moment I don't know if it was just me reading it, but I was like, my God, it is zombies everywhere. But then you realize it's just his fans, right? Then, and then you know it's. If everything's intentional, that's pretty clever. Like you said, it's a bunch of zombie fans out there cheering it on. Yep. Cheering on the the show that was just given to us, you know. So yep. it's all very, very clever. Good stuff. All right. Now you were saying about Beatrice. Go ahead and let it rip. Yes. That was genius stuff. Beatrice, yes, the, the blind woman with the the magical taste buds, they after much discussion about brains and why they want brains, they decide because she can figure out the ingredients of everything just by t- having one taste, 
they decided to have her eat some brains. And they, ha- they actually have to, it's very, very uh, Hannibal Silence of the Lambs moment. So she has to eat living brains, which is, um, which is a lot like that moment in Hannibal when they cut into Ray Liotta's head <laughs> while he's still alive. And they have to spoon out brains for this little old lady to eat so that she can, you know, go, well, and then give the list of ingredients so that they can recreate fake brains as some sort of camouflage maneuver, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's hilarious because she takes the first bite and she just says, what, meat? And then she takes another <laughs> bite, ponders it a little longer. And then, which is kind of a big cheat, and I was kind of mad at, uh, at the author for a second, they don't reveal what magical combinations of ingredients that you'd find in a cupcake can imitate brains. And instead he just, there's like a throwaway line that says, and a bunch of ingredients, you know, those all important ingredients. I don't even know what the line was, mm-hmm. but it was like, you know, we're not going to give you that list, but yep. sit, you know, you have to have confidence that it is this magical, the perfect ingredients is what you need. All right. Would you have really made it and tried it? No, but it's, it's just <laughs> I like, <laughs> I really wanted to hear this list. I thought, you know, a dash of cinnamon, a little squeeze of lemon, and, and I don't know. I just would. I just wanted that list. Plus, I, I half expected there to be included at the end a recipe. Had it been your just book, to, there would have, right? <laughs> I, just, I wanted that recipe. <laughs> so if I have any, this little twinge of disappointment for Mr. Jones, it would be I wanted that recipe. But I think my part is it could save a life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is 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 preparation for the actual zombie apocalypse or whatever. My my issue with that part where they're basically cooking up brains is um they're in, in like this arena or convention center or whatever it is and this kitchen has just the ingredients that they need. That was like kind of the iffy part for me, but it, again, that kind of goes along yeah, with the but, campiness of it. And and I didn't that that didn't bother me as much because that's one of those things where I know the idea is good enough. <laughs> and I know that the situation can't support it, but I don't care because I say, awesome idea. And there's no way that you're going to convince me that this is happening right now. But the idea is so good, I don't care. You're going to be serving up the brains to the little old lady so she can make fake brain. It's you, you jump the rails, but what a great <laughs> idea. So I was on board totally for it. Yeah. Guys, if this was a movie, think of that montage where they're like cooking up the brains like after she <laughs> tastes them. Like, just think about how cool that would have been. Um, and actually, one, probably one of the most, like, emotional moments is tied in with that because they need a source for these brains. And um, and so that whole scene of, of figuring out who is going to be and and actually, you know, breaking his head yeah, open. Yeah, there's a nasty, nasty line where she says, you can dig a little deeper, boys. He's long past feeling it. Yep. And they yeah. spoon in real deep and his foot kind of twinges or something. Yeah, his foot moves. That was so freaky. That was good. That yeah, was good. that was sick. That yeah. was one of those sick moments, yeah. Yeah, it was like he knew he was going to make a like a, a like it was a freaky moment. Uh especially since like the the person who was providing the brains is was it Terry's brother-in-law or brother? Mm-hmm. Brother. Brother. Um So yeah, definitely like yeah, very con- conflicty. Um, and then, yeah, all the humanity is just like, you have to put it. His head was, his head was plundered. Mm -hmm. His head was plundered. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's what I was saying. I don't, you know, for a campy book, there were just so many good shudder-worthy moments that it was just fantastic. Yeah. And then the inevitable use later on when um, these these hunter zombies, the women, the soccer moms are um, covered in this fake brain smell and, and, and or whatever it is, and <laughs> they, they, run, they run up against Tiny Giant, and he's just breaking them in half because he's trying to find the brains inside of them. That was just oh my god! That was one of my favorite moments in the book. And now you can reveal that the end is just a gigantic brawl between <laughs> zombie with an X and tiny giant that goes on for at least three chapters. And there's and it is a up and down roller coaster of you know that's it he's done oh he's still going oh we're gonna miss you zombie oh he's still going and that was a yeah, and then Tiny point. Giant's down for the count, but then he comes back. It's definitely, like, very orchestrated, like maybe a, a wrestling match oh, would exactly. be. Yeah. Right. And there's, like, <laughs> I even forgot, but, like, um, uh, what's the what's the manager's name? Johnny T or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Johnny T and, and um, earlier in the book, Terry, Terry's brother, what's his name, uh, Clem or something weird like that? Anyway, they find those swords, and they're, like, Going around those swords, just everything that he did was really just perfect. It was all the action and, and stuff like that was great. Yeah, it's it's pretty cinematic. I'm I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all if somebody picked this up and made a new movie. Yeah, for sure. It'd be pretty easy to pretty easy to visualize every moment in there. If that happened, dude, I cannot wait to see a six armed soccer mom zombie. <laughs> Like, that would have to be the cover of everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You ready to do some quotes? Oh, yeah. I've got a few quotes. I had a bunch of quotes, but um, I pulled some out. Um, the, a couple are really quick. Um, describing zombie towards the beginning of the book before everybody knew kind of more about the character. Um, just a really brief one. It just says, zombie's almost striding now, like a bad guy in a worse dream. It's just really cool. Since we've been talking, I went back and found the uh, the sluggish fly, so I'm going to go ahead and read that one. It says, uh, zombie doesn't answer, is smelling the donut now, can't see the fly grooming itself on the table beside him. Another sluggish fly crash lands down by it. It doesn't groom. Instead, it stands to look at the other fly, then eats it. <laughs> Brilliant. One of the best parts of the whole book. That is a great line. David, did you have any quotes? Um, I the, I had the fly one, but you stole that. Like oh, a, God damn it. Like a thief in the night. So I'm going to read this one. Here's uh, it, about the, the brain. Because my favorite moments are when people discuss the situation. So the, the brain part. I'm not saying that our brains are fascinating to the recently dead because they're both, because they're both the most alive part of us, Kent says. The seed of intelligent, emotional, sentient life, and they're also the most dead where dead is understood as being beyond pain, which life is basically the avoidance of. And what, see how great that, there's a moment where they can stop and say things like this. <laughs> exactly. Situation. That's just, um, and they're both of these things at the same time, just like the walking dead, right? Alive, but dead. So it's familiar. It's like them. And that makes our brains taste good or something, a sacrament. I don't know. Or the best taboo, maybe like cannibalism or incest. They're not screwing our brains, Terry says. They're eating them. With what's now their only reproductive organ, Kent says, snapping his teeth. Terry quiets, pondering this. Or maybe they just get a rush from the, 
hypothalamus or the amygdala, or they're drinking our memories. I don't know. It's not like the science or anything. <laughs> that is brilliant. So th- I like that a lot. Livy, you got any more? Yeah, I'm gonna do. I have like dozens more, but <clears throat> I'm gonna do one more because it's a little longer. And this is uh, this is a moment that kind of made me shudder. But this is again kind of the ingenuity of uh, a little bit of setup here. As they I mentioned earlier, they used a fire hose to fight off some of the zombies. So it's this high pressure wash, and apparently that was left. Uh, they left it on at one point. So now there are several rooms that are just flooded. So I'm picturing there's like a foot or two of water in each of these rooms. One of the soccer moms, who's not a central character at all, is is trapped in this room, and a zombie comes after her. So that's kind of where this this uh, um, where this picks up. So it says uh, her arm's been cut somehow in her long run from the door, and the blood from it it's slipping away like a red ribbon, coating the top of the water just past her face. For long seconds, seconds she doesn't have, she tries to will the blood back to her or kill its scent at least, and finally resorts to opening her mouth, trying to drink it in. Sorry, she's underwater at this point. She's hiding underwater from the zombie. It works a little, at least in the sense that there's less blood to be smelled. But still, there's some. Enough. The wrestler registers it, his whole body going on alert. He steps closer, then closer again, so that he's standing on her hair now, keeping her down, looking at her like she's maybe just a reflection of some kind. Slowly, just following his nose, he lowers his face right down to hers and laps up some of the blood, too. That made me shudder. I mean, just the imagery of him looking and kind of thinking it might be his reflection he's seeing when it's mm-hmm. her face underwater and then sticking his tongue out to lick up some of the blood. It's just fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah. that's one of those moments where he's the author's in the zone, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now to get a little campier, this is <laughs> again one of my this is like the the gratuitous gore that doesn't make sense, like the the limbs being pulled off, you know. Maybe a little too easily. This is kind of one of those moments, and David brought it up a little earlier. The I actually have the the mixer part actually as a quote, so I'm going to read it out. Um, this is a this is an old woman who was attending the Bake Off kind of thing, um, who had just prior to this quote um, witnessed one of the other uh, Bake Off attendees getting bitten, and uh, kind of mercy killed her with a with a mixer, and. Um, <laughs> She finds herself kind of unable to escape another zombie who is one of the wrestlers, Jonah the Whale. And this is the quote. You think I lived 76 years just to be dinner to your kind? Eat this, she says to Jonah and opens her mouth, crams the mixer as deep in as she can, then pushes deeper. The first thing to fly out is her dentures and then her tongue and then the pink cottage cheese that holds all her memories. By the time Jonah gets to her, there's not enough left to eat. (laughs) Pretty ghoulish. <laughs> awesome, awesome stuff. That's just one of those over-the-top moments that, like David said, is a little, you know, requires a little bit of, you know, a, a stretch of the imagination, but damn if that's not a good scene. You guys want to go ahead and give it some stars? David, did you come up with some uh, a number of stars to put on this? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know you did that. How did, what, what's the maximum stars? That would be five, okay, which I'm is... We do the Goodreads scale, so I'll just kind of... The, the Goodreads scale is one is didn't like it, uh, two is it was okay, three was liked it, four was really liked it, and five was like, you know, I want to blow the author or something like that. Okay, so it's I'm not going to give it a five. <laughs> yeah, it's probably so not actually that. I think it's something like author. it was amazing or something like that. Just <laughs> because when it's required of a five, I'm going to pass on the five. No, I would give it a five if you would have included those ingredients. So I'm going to give it a four until we get to hear the cupcake ingredients that can imitate human brain. So I'm going to give a four 
four and a half. I'm gonna give it a four. <laughs> Come back to me. All right. I don't know. I, to, I didn't know we had to do this. He's okay. oscillating between. Uh, Livius, what do you got? Um, like I said, I mean, this was this was a laugh out loud funny in some parts, uh, shuddery in others, and overall campy, but a fast and very very enjoyable read. And I'm gonna give it four and a half stars. Oh, so you can do a half. Yep. You, you guys change half. the rules as it suits you. Okay. <laughs> well, you gave like three different answers so far, so I think you're kind of throwing the book out the window yourself. See, and, and here's what we do. So we average how so you're the third person on us. We're gonna average all all three of these. And then if it comes to a half star average, we actually bump it up to a full star on Goodreads so we don't penalize the author for uh for our half starriness. Well let yeah. me wait until let me hear Rob's and then I'm gonna go mm-hmm. so I can be a big hero. That's right. All right. So uh, pretty much exactly what Livia said. I mean, great, great campy moments, great, really creepy, horrific moments, good, funny moments. I liked all the characters. What David said about, you know, it's just a great book and I liked it a lot. Um, I, I traditionally am very stingy with five star ratings, so I'm going to I'm going to go four and a half as well. Okay, so I'm going to say, so you're saying if I say four and a half, it gets kicked up to five? Yeah. So I'm a big hero if that happens. <laughs> but you could strategically drop it down to a four if you give it the right rating. I'm going to, in all honesty, I would say four. I'm going to give it the half because I would have been satisfied if it wouldn't, if it, it wouldn't even have bothered with the three-generation thing, with the zombie, uh, brain camouflage. So those... Those are those bonuses that kick it up to four and a half. So I'm going to give it the four and a half. There you go. Because it had the respect for zombie lore to do something different. So I'm going to give it the four and a half. I'm agree. I'm going to agree. And and this is a perfect segue, actually. Um, your your ba- your last thing you said about the respect for zombie lore. It's obvious that when he wrote this, this is a guy who cares about and is very thoughtful about the idea of zombies and, and their existence in books and in movies. Um, as an example of that, we did an interview with uh, Stephen Graham Jones in August mm-hmm. of last year um, for the Warmed and Bound anthology. And one of the things we talked about was he was teaching uh, a zombie course, like an online zombie course at, at his college. And so he spent like, he did this three minute, it's, it's just mind blowing. Um, three minute kind of talk about the history of zombies from, you know, the very first instance to, you know, what's going on in the modern day. And it's just, it's incredible to hear the amount of information he packs into this three minutes. Here's a little clip of Stephen Graham Jones from our interview talking about his course that he's teaching about zombies. You mentioned actually in an email to us, uh, that you're teaching a class and it has to do with zombies. You want to tell us about that? That sounds exciting. We've talked to a lot of people about zombies, so I always cool. love yeah. hearing stuff about that. Yeah, it's a zombie renaissance, and um, it's a, it's an online course for continuing it, continuing ed here at CU Boulder. They invited me to teach it, and I jumped on, of course, because I just have because the 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 wonderful thing about a online course is you can just give your students like six times too much to read, and they have to read it, you know, in a, in a you know in a Chalk in, you know, seats classroom. You have to, you have to police yourself a little bit. But online, you can just go crazy. Um, and I've got so many cool zombie stories I've found, and so much old. Like, I have the class split, in, split into five units. We go pr- proto zombie, then we go 
Let's see, what do we do? Proto, Pre, Haitian, Romero, Rage, and then Post. Maybe it's six units. I don't know. Yeah, so we go all the way back to Tibet, you know, for the Relangs, those, those, those freaky zombies, and go through the hopping corpses of um, China and up through the revenants of um, the Dark Ages, I guess, and come up and try to read Poe. You know, the house, the follow the house of Usher such that it's a zombie story, and you know, the monkey's paw, WW Jacobs, which I think is a zombie story. And then we look on to all the anthro enthusiast stuff happening when people porting these zombie stories up out of Haiti in the early 20th century for a terrified America or a guilty America who is scared of a um, underclass rising against them and all that. And then you have Lovecraft, bam, you know, 1920, what, 1922, he gives us, um, he gives us these zombies that are hungry that rend you limb from limb that um that walk around in hordes he was the first dude to say horde with an association with zombies i'm pretty sure anyway i found i found some cool old stories like i found this one story it cost i think it cost 142 dollars for me to get it photo like just taking a picture of out of some australian library that i don't think anybody reads anymore and it's a old old zombie story that's so good um and then we jump up to romero you know how he he gave us um flesh-eating and infectiousness and the all-important headshot, you know? And um, <laughs> we stay we stay with Romero for a while and have fun with him. We get to Return of the Living Dead, which I love, Return of the Living Dead. That's probably my favorite zombie movie, even though Max Brooks says it killed the zombie, the zombie movie, the zombie story, which it did. But then Boyle, Boyle brought it back in 02 with 28 Days Later, and the Resident Evil was that same year. And then the year, the next year was the Zombie Survival Guide, which was actually a defense manual for Romero zombies, but we were already in the Rage era. And... <laughs> man then then world war z and now here we are with you know rambach and mutants and the horde we've got zombies these rage zombies developing in really interesting ways and in that class that's what we're trying to figure out is why the zombie craze right now and where is it going those are the two main questions wow that's that's all i can say about the brief history of, of zombies <laughs> that i just heard God, yeah, I remember listening to that while he's talking and <laughs> Rob and I typing holy shit like back and forth to each other while he's doing it while we're sitting just just being educated and soaking it in. It was just fantastic. And the impression so that, that big, like anything you mentioned, like you could have been like, hey, you know, tell us what you think about pet grooming. And you would have gotten that same three minutes, but on pet grooming <laughs> instead, like he's just got this encyclopedic knowledge of practically anything. I remember hearing that the first time I... Uh, when I started following you guys when doing the warmed and bound sessions, I remember thinking that uh, any zombie talk would have to be stepped up a couple notches if that's the level of discourse on the subject. Because <laughs> it felt like you took a class on zombies when you heard that three minutes, which I assume precedes what we're saying right now, the magic yep. of radio. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the magic well, I don't remember it exactly. Fully dispelled. He... No, does he... Because I didn't actually hear it because they play it and then they reinsert it. So the thing that you guys just heard at home, did he start with Frankenstein as the first zombie or does he start with Dead Men in the Cane Fields? Because in my mind, there's a war over which which should be the beginning. (laughs) Well, see, that's why I put a link to the episode in our notes (laughs) with a a note about exactly where to go to listen to it. Um, Okay. So you get okay. Responsible. I think he probably. Responsible I don't remember, hosts. but I think he probably started with Dead Men in the Cane Fields. But I think Frankenstein should be where it began, right? 
I just wonder if he acknowledges that, but I don't remember. I remember. I don't remember him saying anything about Frankenstein, to be completely honest. So right now, the, this is kind of like Blood Simple. Everyone at home knows more than we do. Yeah. Like no, the characters I know, don't. <laughs> I know for a fact he doesn't mention Frankenstein in the three minutes because I listened to it like yesterday. And they just heard it five seconds ago. And they listened to it, yeah. <laughs> Did you feel helpless? <laughs> well, the power of editing means that I could. Oh, you can't edit this. This <laughs> no, is a, no. This humanizes you. This makes you seem like a, a person that's real. <laughs> I know, I know, but I do want to be larger than life and, and you're just destroying that right now. What I was saying is like, we could completely put it on pause and you could listen to it. No, and it, and I, I remember, I think he's, he's all about the, the, uh, dead men in the cane field. So. It would be like, all right, I watched Bill and Ted's bogus. No, excellent adventure. Excellent adventure. Like a couple weeks ago, maybe. <laughs> and there was this moment where they were like, oh, we need these keys. And they're like, right. all right, well, after this, we'll put the keys. Where are we going to put them? We'll put them right there. And then they look and they're there. We can do that. That's what I'm trying That's, to say. That, that is a good reference, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see that reference. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to Blood Simple because in Blood Simple, the audience is pretty much screaming at the screen saying, why are you doing that? We have the information that you don't have. You don't need to go through this. This doesn't need to be happening right now. And that's what the people at home are saying, because they've heard it. They're like, why? We're hearing a debate, and we have this information. So Bill and Ted, I'll give you that. But I think we're more blood simple territory here. All right. That's fair. I'm going to try to steer us back on the track. That's all I'm here to do tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that that we kind of talked about a little bit was kind of this this different take on a zombie on a zombie story. So this was, you know, he had the generations, he had the, the, the brain recipe, he had, you know, this great stuff going on. And I think with as much zombie fiction as has popped up in the last few years, that you absolutely need a different look or a different something. For example, ZBMB, which we would have mentioned if you were on the show or not, which was, you know, we don't want to spoil it for anybody, but um, if you haven't listened to the episode, you definitely want to look at it from a different a different standpoint of zombies. As you said, zombies 3.0, third generation zombies in your yeah. your story there, David? 3.0. I, I guess, think. yeah, maybe. So. That's, that's the most convincing case I've seen. So, I, I, yeah, I'll retroactively say that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, As I, you are it, known to do. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, that's what it takes nowadays, though, to make a good zombie story is you can keep trying to rewrite Night of the Living Dead and just throw more action at it. But if you don't have some other type of element there that that gives it that extra little bump, you're just going to have what's, you know, becoming a flooded market of zombie stories. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. He did exactly what you need to do, which is know what's come before it, deliver what's expected, and then add something new. And he adds three completely original ideas that I hadn't seen before. So, Yeah, and he didn't profane anything. Like, he was, you know, respectful to what had come before, like you said earlier, but at the same time, he brought something new. Which, yeah, exactly. What's that dilemma is, uh, the dilemma of what, how can anyone deal with the situation that you've seen in a movie? How could any, how could a zombie apocalypse ever happen without people turning to themselves and saying, this 
is something that we've seen in the movies over and over again. So you can either not acknowledge it at all, which is, I think, what Walking Dead did at first. Mm. They try to not, people are baffled. They call them walkers because they don't want to use the word zombie. And you have to assume that they've never seen a zombie film. And that's tricky. And you have to maintain, you have to keep those balls in the air forever. You can never mention it, which is hilariously lampooned in Shaun of the Dead when he's like, don't say that word. And uh, Mr. Jones deals with that pretty efficiently. Somebody hesitates to say it. And he's like, no, you can say it. And then they move right on because they have to acknowledge that they've seen a zombie movie or else you're stuck in that limbo of we have to they have to go through it all again. They have to rediscover, you know, what stops them? What's happening? Are these people dead? Are they alive? Instead, they in his and this is what I like is you go to the movie. The movies is your history. So in this book, they say, it's like Return of the Living Dead. They go after the brains. So we, we do have some knowledge of what to do here, and we're just going to treat that as history. The, the movies are as valid as any other background on the situation because mm-hmm. you can't maintain that confusion like The Walking Dead or you're going to be fucking dull as shit. That's why The Walking Dead is not the best example of zombies even though it's the most popular right now it is written itself into so many corners with trying to keep those balls in the air you know and what uh livius and i read um what's that jonathan mayberry book dead of night Mm -hmm. that's an example of that uh, a, a book i liked a lot i thought it was really good and he again took kind of a refreshing angle where he found kind of scientific explanations for why you know, a body could do, you know, come back to life and that kind of thing. But there was that thing where for a good chunk of the book, zombies weren't mentioned. And, um, and so everybody was just like, this is impossible. It's impossible that this is happening. And, and to the point where it was like, come on, just get over, you know, get it over with. And that was like my <laughs> right, one and, kind and of solve the, yeah, the, and then deal with the puzzle. Right. And, and it took so long for them to, get past that where like everybody just accepted that essentially these were zombies. I don't know if it ever was actually breached or not, but like, but, um, th- it took too way longer. That was really the only problem I had with that book. Cause like he had a really clever approach to the whole zombie thing, but it took so, there was so much of this, like, this is impossible. This can't be happening mm-hmm. for it to, you know, it just, that was the one thing I think he could have done differently. And I think in Devin Knight, I think that that's an example of somebody who doesn't have faith or doesn't have not faith genre as much as somebody who treats it as as you would an alien invasion plot. Aliens invade, and people would say hey, we're being invaded by aliens. They wouldn't say, "What is this that comes from the sky?" You know, they they would acknowledge they would acknowledge that they've seen they've seen an alien invasion film, and yep. they would think of it in those terms, like what happens in these alien invasion movies, where it was probably a mothership. They're probably going to be insect-like. I don't know. But they, de- they instantly think about what they've known in alien invasion movies, which are somehow more respectable. Zombie movies, you would do the same thing. You wouldn't sit there and say, why is it walking? It's not supposed to be alive. And then try to come up with a clever name for it that's not zombie, like Walker, for Christ's sake. You'd have respect for it that what came before is in the movies. That is your history. So... Anyway. I, I agree. My whole thought on that has always been that you'd be hard pressed to find someone that's, you know, over the age of 10 and under the age of 90 that wouldn't say you have to kill the brain. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. Especially now. I mean, 
it's been so long that zombies have been like, especially. I mean, it's been at least a decade that it's been in pop culture, you know. And then, and why is it that now that it's been, it's it finally has this uh, oversaturation that should mean that these movie these any reference to it should be effortless and supported by this rich history. Instead, now it's there's talk of a backlash, like so many zombie movies. Well, nobody ever says that about alien invasion shit. You don't say, oh my God, you can't endure another one of those. It's like, yes, you finally recognize the tropes of the zombie genre. Well done. Don't, that doesn't mean you, you should have a backlash against it. It means you should pat yourself on the fucking back that you finally recognize what we've all, people that have been watching these movies have known. You're part of it. Don't be so upset because you can identify what's happening in these movies at the, in the beginning, because when they're efficient, then everything's going to be clicking for you. But so anyway, did that make any sense whatsoever? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what I think this backlash is. Is just it's like the the old fable: familiarity breeds contempt. So yes, you're familiar with it. That doesn't mean you have to be so upset with it because it's fucking tiresome. <laughs> you're not that upset. You're just recognizing something. You're so proud of yourself. I don't even know who I'm talking to right now. <laughs> probably, honestly, probably not anybody that listens to this anyway. But maybe they can pass it along to the assholes you're talking yeah. to. Um, I did want to mention a couple of other stories other than ZBMB. If we haven't sung the praises enough, let's do it one more time. Definitely read ZBMB for an interesting look at the zombie lore and genre. Um, but this book actually reminded me a little bit of something I read eh, probably a couple of years ago, a book called X Heroes by Peter Kleins. Um, and, and the reason it reminded me of this is um, we have wrestlers as zombies and zombie bake-off. Uh, Peter Kleins, um, what he did was he took a world where there are superheroes and supervillains, and there's a zombie outbreak, and part of the, uh, the superhumans have turned into zombies. So you have your regular shambling zombies, but then you have ones that are like, you know, a guy who's kind of like the Incredible Hulk, but he's a zombie. So he can't just be killed like a normal zombie could. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take on it and enjoyable. I mean, it wasn't a great, great book, but I mean, it was a very interesting take on what could happen if, you know, the likes of. And it's that he doesn't use actual you know, Marvel or DC you know, heroes, but, you know, it's kind of like a Superman zombie. How would you deal with that? So that was kind of cool. Oh, that's fun. That'd be a good double header. Mm-hmm. What's it called again? X Heroes? X Heroes. Okay. Okay. Available for your Kindle for a very reasonable four ninety nine. Oh, nice. Not bad. If we're gonna pimp, pimp some Kindles, um Deadcore is ninety nine cents. Uh free, it was free for a weekend and now they've dropped it down from seven ninety nine, I think, to five ninety nine. Now it's ninety nine cents. So if you want Deadcore has four variations of zombies in it. Comet Press book. I don't know if you guys you guys have read that, right? Um, we read ZBMB, yeah. and it's oh, that's in the, its virginal form. Oh, that's the baby bee. That's the little baby, <laughs> little baby version. Yeah, there's a zombie safari in it. Where again, the on the cover of uh, Stephen Graham Jones' book, if you get zombie safari <laughs> on its own, has the same the same little zombie face. It also has Night of the Jinkinky. I think you that's how you pronounce it, which is takes place in. Um, Japan with samurais and shit. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, uh, fucking Randy Chandler's Dead Juju, which is one of the most mean-spirited <laughs> zombie things I've ever read. It's It's got, like, people fucking skulls and 
<laughs> it's it's dark, dark stuff. And that perversely they start the book with that story. So it's the opening band is is pretty tough act to follow if you read Dead Core. So you might want to read it in reverse order. <laughs> um, you know what's cool about the Kindle is while you were talking, I just went ahead and bought Dead Core four. Oh yeah, wow. it, just and like it's that. still and it does have it's still ninety nine cents. Ninety nine cents. Good deal. Good deal. Oh, wait, I've already purchased it on a previous order. Do you have the death panel? That one's 99 cents, too. The Comet Press stuff's all 99 cents right now. I'll have to take a look at that. You know, I kind of wish they'd let you buy more than once. I don't know why that is, because I've had situations where... Where they've updated the content, yeah. Yeah, so... Well, yeah, specifically anything you've written. (laughs) Well, so you think... I should say, ZB&B now contains a reference to Zombie Bake Off. Um... (laughs) (laughs) You're being, are you being I serious? Mean, oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm being serious. You can't let that not be in there. Wait, um, is it, do I have to get permission to do that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think anybody's listening anymore at this point, so no one's going to hear it except us. Um, I don't have like a full book uh, to pimp or anything or anything that's available on Amazon, but Amanda Gowan, who's been on the show a couple times, did have a story um, up at Menacing Hedge recently called trot lines and it's a little bit of a zombie tale and, it, and it's got kind of its own unique twist to it so we're going to put a link to the the menacing hedge website so you can read trot lines it's it's really quick it's probably what do you mean two to four pages something like that it's it's not mm-hmm. a long read at all but it's it's pretty cool i second that endorsement great story yeah i liked it i read it like a few days ago about a week ago maybe quick read she, you know, it's your basic zombie apocalypse thing, but she, she throws a couple of unique things in there, and I liked it. You should also, um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Jones has a Spine Tingler nomination. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's um, he's up against you, isn't he? For uh, No, no, no. He's in two categories. He, he might be in the same category. He's in, yeah, because I think he is in um, Best Short Story on the Web. Right. right. Along with you, hang on, going to the website. Real time. Yeah, we're doing he's this got real time. Uh, his story, um, Silent Game from Plots with Guns. I think it was the one Plots with Guns had a revamp. They, uh, Anthony Neil Smith stepped back a little bit, and then they redid the, the look of it. And um, it, it was either the first one after the, the revamp of it or the second issue, but it's that, uh, but yeah, it's, it's in Plots with Guns. Uh, Silent Game is the name of it. And um, Court Merrigan's got a story, The Cloud Factory from Pank. Mm. And I'm trying to think who, oh, uh, Matt Funk. Speaking of prolific, Silas's Good Run. That's, uh, B, that's in B2 Pulp. So they're all, they're all up against me. Da- so David, all- you're, you're doing this all wrong. We were totally going to mention you were up for a Spine Tingler Award and then neglect to mention there was anybody else involved. <laughs> Well, yeah, go vote for mine. Mine's mine's more work to read because it's Crime Factory. I don't know if you guys have ever been on there. It's a it's a big PDF file of the entire magazine, so it looks great on your um, Kindle, but you can't just click right to a story. You have to open it up and you have to find the page and you have to flip through it. So they can go right to the story. Mine, there's a little bit extra labor where you have to find it in that issue even when you click on it. So right there, I should get your vote because you have to do an extra couple of clicks and maneuvers and, um but yeah i have a story that's also in the running either way it ends with a shovel it's about 75 percent true story 
Uh, Jones also has, um, in the best novel from a legend, which is nine or more novels, uh, is what is I guess they define a legend as. So his best novel that's up for the award is Seven Spanish Angels. He's up against oh. a bunch of people I've never heard of, which I probably shouldn't say that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Book review podcast. We don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> Books. Any of these legends. So, David, what else do you have going on? Um, uh, upcoming reading in St. Louis, uh, Noir at the Bar. Um, when Jed Ayers did our wrong kind of reading, uh, we talked about someday getting down there and doing one. Um, you guys record? Have you, did you guys record one of those, or you just attended one? Noir at the Bar. Yeah, yeah, we recorded um, the February twenty eighth. I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I haven't. I got to listen to that With one. Caleb there. Ross and Gordon Highland and some others. That's right. That's right. So yeah, I'm gonna. Um, it's only four hours away, so I'm gonna do a little road trip. Read. Uh, read something. Something heinous. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that'll be the twenty eighth. With uh, Les Edgerton, Les Edgerton and. Courtright McMeal, I guess, are reading. These guys, I, I'd heard their names in Murderland. Murder people are familiar mm. with that. It went, I think it was two issues. Very, very thick um, publication, crime fiction. Then they vanished after two amazing issues, and uh, Jet Ayers resurrected these guys. His story is pretty impressive. He's an actual ex-con, so he's probably going to kill me because my... <laughs> I was thinking about reading a prison satire and uh, he's got an article over at um, crime factory. I don't know. He doesn't have an article. I'm sorry. There's an article over at crime factory called don't write what you know. And it's yelling at all the people that uh, send them stories about, you know, writing about writing and they're saying, mm-hmm. you know, work harder than that. But then this, this less uh, Edgerton guy pops up in the comments and says, you know, you got to be a, be conscious of these posers who do a little bit of research in, on prison stuff and then, you know, drop references to shivs and bulls. And and he's just really disgusted with that. And, and he just kind of like goes off. And then the author of the article is like, whoa, I'm sorry. Don't I hope you don't think that's that's what I'm doing. And then he comes back with it again, saying, you know, this is worse than the know what you write stuff. And so now. I was going to read something that was a prison satire, but I'm traumatized that he's going to be like, you are, that is totally unrealistic. And, you know, he's actually been to prison and will call me out on my inconsistencies. So he's going to shiv you. He will shiv <laughs> me, but he won't call to shiv. He'll call the flugel binder because that's the official name for it. No, I don't know. <laughs> he's going to take no, you up to that man. little upstairs no, area and make you his bitch. <laughs> So now I'm looking forward to his story in uh, Murderland. It was called uh, Felon. And there's an authenticity to it that's just amazing. I mean, I read those comments and I had remembered that story. So I went back and reread it and thought, well, he gets to say that because I don't doubt a minute of this story, the story Felon. Um, The guy's good. He also has a book up for the uh, Spine Tingler too, uh, The Bitch is its name. Yeah, he's up against Stephen Graham Jones. Oh, is he? For best he novel. Make, okay, legend. so he is, the, he is in the legend category. Yeah. 
He's one of the yeah, people I, I just said that I'd never heard of. So you're going to get Shiv, too. <laughs> I'm sorry, you get shanked. I might get shanked. By, by a flugel miner. <laughs> no, but anyway, Noir at the bar with uh, with that guy, so that should be sweet. Oh, and Noir here, at the bar is actually in there, too. They have a spine. They're, they're nominated best for cover. Best Cover for Noir at the Bar Anthology. They, yeah, Best Cover. Oh, also, uh, Jason Stewart's got Raise a Holler. Oh, yeah, from... Uh, New voice, right? AKA best novel. The Hobbit 2 is uh is in best new voice, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. He's he's got some some well there's first of all there's a lot more people in that category than the other ones, but there's there's some tough competition. So best yeah, of luck to Jason. Yeah. competition. Yeah. Now now David, since you're a little bit behind the scenes on this on this uh as a nominee for the Spine Tingler award, can you tell us why Pablo Destere was snubbed? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I thought I was actually thinking you guys were snubbed in that community award. Like, uh, is the way I understand it, it's this book is a pretty good gathering place for writer types. I'm surprised you guys weren't in there. Did you guys not qualify somehow? Oh, I didn't even oh. think about the David Thompson Community Leader Award. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that? Oh. Apparently, we were snubbed too. You know what? Fuck the spine God damn it, spine tinglers. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get nominated though? That's what I want to know. Oh, I don't know. I, the don't they process. say something on their site like, uh, we take nominations if you send them to us. We also promote what we think are, um, if if they if there's something they like, they will promote it themselves. They'll they'll do the the nominating. Or maybe I read that wrong. Yeah. I thought it was just at their discretion. I don't know. Either way, those sons of a bitches. Yeah. Next year, I, I think I think our recent conversation is, is they're not going to be promoting us. Someone else will have to. 2013 is our year for the Spine Tangler Award. But That's I think right. that, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll then be way beyond Elmer, that. The Elmer Fudd Community Award or whatever that is. <laughs> David Thompson. Have you guys it. read any any of the stories on there? Like my story? Did you read my story? I read your story. I think you actually sent me a PDF of it when we first had you on. What? I never I mean, got a PDF oh, of it. Around that time, yeah. Oh, okay. Livius gets, right, everybody Liv- likes Livius better than they like me, so there's a lot of stuff I miss out on. Yeah, well, you can. yeah, that's. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean we've read a bunch of stuff like you know, obviously Devil All the Time is one of the new voice things. Dust Devil, right, right, Smith. right. Um, Did you guys review Drop of the Hard stuff? No, no. Oh wait, is that is that one of the nominees for which category? Um, yes, wait, vet, veterans or whatever. And of Legends. course, Anthony Neil Smith or. Yeah, Legends. Eventually. Oh, Lawrence, the Lawrence Block. Yeah, that's in best. No, we haven't. We haven't. And all the young warriors is in there. Yep. There's a lot of stuff. Um, Shamefully, I haven't gotten around to all the young warriors. Might be this month though. Warmed and Bound, best anthology, which I strongly recommend people vote for. Um, has nothing to do with the fact that we have content in the ebook version. <laughs> you guys are the director's cunt of that version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's All so right. funny. What did you, what did you, what did your mind hear? <laughs> no, I heard, I heard what you said. I, I elected you to the director's it. cut. What did you hear? see? I have it on recording, so What's I can go back in. <laughs> I'm sure everybody that's listening is just completely about fascinated the, by this. It's about the most immature thing that's happened on this show. <laughs> really? Well. We have had Sean Ferguson on multiple times, so yep. 
I'd have to go back and check, but yeah. <laughs> that dude likes Batman way too much. I feel I should rip on Batman while I'm on here. All right. You know what? This, okay, so. <laughs> so we're, we're at the reading, okay? This is And dead. you turn around and you're like, he likes Batman, just like you do. And you turn to Ferguson, you say that, and you go right back to reading, and I go, Jesus fucking Christ, he remembers Ferguson saying that like six months ago on one fucking episode, like some throwaway line where he's like, yeah, that's why I always like Batman. How do you pull shit like that out of your ass just constantly? Well, I don't don't know why you're so baffled by remembering things. You're like, I can't believe he can speak and he can manipulate these Dude, you Duels. fucking seriously, you're, you're like, you're like this movie I saw like 14 years ago. Said. I don't remember what it was called, but like four and a half minutes into it, there's like the scene. It's like this homeless guy walks past and it's like just the best walk I've ever seen. And, and I sit there and I'm like, I fucking, I saw a movie last week. I don't really remember what it was about or who was in it, but I remember thinking it was okay. Well then see, we should be talking about what's so unique about you because you're not remembering anything. <laughs> Where are these Maybe memories going? Yeah, that's that's the remarkable thing is that you can't remember things. <laughs> God damn it. Well, all right. So what I want to say from the reading, the, uh, the shindig and shy time, which I thought I was really, I really regretted it not being like videotaped because, um, David, when you were doing the, um, when you were talking about the hand acting, poor Sean Ferguson, oh, was sitting, like, like yeah, right Mr. Next Ferguson to was, he was a good sport. I like playing with his head. <laughs> and David was, I don't know if you're actually touching him or just like putting your hand really close to him in awkward ways. But like he was definitely a prop for that whole hand acting scene. And I re listened to it and having been there, I can imagine it in my mind. But <laughs> the other people who ha- didn't see it are missing out on that. Like Sean Ferguson molestation that goes along with that <laughs> hand acting part of that <laughs> story. Yeah. He was a good sport, but he was, I mean, he was right there. He was part of the show. Everybody read. He was, <laughs> he was like this gargoyle to your right. <laughs> That you had to, that you had to play with. Uh, true, no, he's a good, he's a good sport. That was fun. And he does, he does the best I, perplexed look ever. <laughs> the story felt, about drinking the meth, the meth urine, <laughs> and it's the confused look on his face throughout that whole story is just classic. <laughs> well, he actually, I was talking to Jeff Peck afterwards, and uh, he he actually he accidentally um, upset Jeff. Not upset him, but. I guess uh, Mr. Ferguson went up to him and said, that uh, meth piss story, I've heard that somewhere else, right? And Jeff Jeff was like, that guy just accused me of plagiarism. Or did he accuse me of drinking, actually drinking piss? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what just happened. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) And the only thing that I think, the only thing I could think of is immediately is like, he's actually an EMT. So he probably hears some weird medical things. yeah. That's the only thing I can think of that would... So you might want to tell Jeff that just to make him feel better. Speaking of EMT, I feel bad that I I keep claiming that all these things are part of this novel, Spunkwater, but it's I just, I'm forcing everything back into this book. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Every time I say this is an excerpt from this novel, it might or might not be. I don't know at this point. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a liar, but there is this pile of stuff that I've sort of named and you know, anything could be part of it. I don't know why I felt the need to confess that right there, but (laughs) I just felt guilty listening to that reading. Um, It was just such a fiasco because I, like a third of that stuff is not on the page 
and it was endless. And I was just kind of embarrassed for myself, but it just kept going and going like now. <laughs> well, well, now it's it okay just, to be embarrassed. The story was great. I think that was, that was just fantastic. <laughs> so. But it, I don't know if you guys could tell, I just kept throwing shit in there because it was the end of the night and I didn't know what to, you know, I'm not a host of fucking event. I don't know what I'm doing. So I thought there should be more of a finale and I just kept babbling and it was, I just, I don't know. It was tough to listen to. So I felt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did a lot of, uh, you are saying that you just kind of threw a bunch of shit in there, but your, your improv skills were, were finely tuned. I believe that night. Cause like that chick's phone went off and you just like jumped right. You know, it was flawless how you added it in. It was, yeah, it was a good, uh, what I really liked about that. And, we all, everybody dealt with it pretty well is there were a lot of obstacles served up that helped us out. I mean, everything made it more interesting. Like you just keep throwing all these obstacles at, at that reading and it made it more, whether it was, you know, people starting shit with us or problems with the service staff, but it just made it, I mean, it's going to make it memorable. Yep. And nothing was like, Oh, that fucked it up. It's like that. I'm so glad that the universe tried to stop that thing because <laughs> it made it great. <laughs> um, okay. I know that we kind of got off track and we've been a little bit all over the place, but uh, I want to make sure we thank you, David, for coming on and helping us review this book and talk about all your <laughs> zombie knowledge and stuff. So yeah, thanks. Big thanks for coming back on. We're always happy when we have you here. Yeah, th- thanks for the invite. Thanks for pointing out this uh, this book because um, you know I got there's a bunch of stuff I'm reading right now and I wasn't sure if I was gonna get it done and I burned through it in a day and a half. So it was a fast, fun read. So I'm glad you guys pointed it out and uh, happy accident. There were a lot of things in here that were similar to stuff that I'd worked on. So it was it was exciting to to see a like minded author out there and if that maybe if i'm not as prolific as he is but uh um, i'm gonna read more of his stuff i mean i'm but you guys turned me on to this guy so uh i thank you for that yeah again a big thanks to david james keaton i figure we mentioned him often enough that we should have him on the show occasionally um you can find out more about him at davidjameskeaton.com and don't forget to check out Flywheel Magazine, here's some uh, some great stuff that he edits over there, as you may have heard on our um, Billy Goat Tavern Shindig in Chicago episodes. Okay, and that's not it. We actually are bringing you tonight our second um, booked news, uh, our new segment, booked news. We have we have our second edition of that tonight. We loved it so much the first time we asked him to come back for a little bit more. So, without further ado, here is booked news. <laughs> This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. This week in Book News, rap and hip-hop star Snoop Dogg announced that his new book, Rolling Words, is made primarily out of rolling papers. This allows readers to tear out sheets of Snoop's most popular raps and light them on fire for pleasure. The book cover is made mostly out of hemp products, and the spine features a coarse sticker that one may strike a match against. Wow, Snoop, you just took book burning to a whole new level. In other news, Book News recently caught up with Anne Rice at a furry convention to ask what she thought of the Booked Boy's recent review of her latest work. She responded with, quote, What's a podcast? Is that an iPhone thing? 
finally, the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. Elegy for Eddie by Jacqueline Winspear debuts at number five. Stay Close by Harlan Coben almost disappears by slipping from number one to number four. Betrayal by Danielle Steele betrays good taste and ends up at number three. The pitter-patter of James Patterson's new book, Guilty Wives, starts at number two. J.R. Ward's newest book of the Black Dagger Brotherhood series stabs the competition and ends up in number one. That's all for book news. I'm Skip Papersley signing off. Yeah, so the whole thing about Anne Rice is that's the reason we can't go to the Comic-Con because now she has a restraining order against us. Yeah. Once again, ruining our, our hopes and dreams, not only just of reading good books, but also of <laughs> <laughs> attending Comic-Cons now. She's really a spur, a, a thorn in our side. Yeah, I'm crushed. <laughs> I'm crushed that we can't go. So he's That's Livius. That's Romanian sarcasm. Yes, it's exactly what it is. And we're not even good at sarcasm. You know the only thing we're good at, Rob? Telling people what to read? Uneven parallel bars. <laughs> oh, I thought Damn. you were talking about us, not Romanians. My bad. Oh, oh god damn it. Uh, all right. Apparently we're not very good at podcasting, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, um, all right. Uh, next up, we're going to have, um, not, not now, we're going to let you guys go after a nearly two-hour episode. But... Um, Next week, our review is going to be Matt Bell's Cataclysm Baby, something we've been looking forward to uh, to reading for quite a while. I mean, since it's warmed and bound, the story in there was so great. Mantodea, mm-hmm. which uh, Malaz had to point out that we had to, that we probably didn't know what it meant. But anyway, yes, looking forward to Cataclysm Baby, like Livia said. I think we were talking to Matt Bell about it back. Yeah, so that's almost about three quarters of a year ago, nine months ago or so. Yep. Um, Really looking forward to that. Um, don't forget to check out ZBNB. Check out our Shindig in Chi Town uh, readings that David James Keaton hosted, and also check out and also check out our Wrong Kind of Reading episodes because David James Keaton's got a little bit in there too. All right, I think that about covers all the bases for us. Uh, until next time, I'm Livia Snedden, and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. You know I'm a dreamer, but my heart's a gold. One more.